Like you been feeling good? No. No, I ain't been feeling it bad. But I thank God for being well as you. No joke right there, I'm so serious. Why so serious? A little joke. Just let her know when you want to be serious. Cause when you want to be serious, I'm going to play around. And when you want to play around, I'm going to be serious. And if we want to play around and be serious at the same time, I'm just going to walk off and be serious and playing around while I'm being serious. Because I'm just playing around because I'm never serious. What's going on, y'all? It's June 18th, Thursday. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, so I decided that I'm probably going to air this on tomorrow. My name is Busy Balboa. I am your host of the Get to Know Me podcast. How y'all doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today I have a guest coming on that goes by the name of Anissa Bass. Bigness is what we call her. Um, but she's a home hometown friend, and I wanted to have a uh, I wanted to have her on because she's always having great conversations online and just, she just always has great um, dialogue and good things to talk about, facts and things like that. She knows a lot about the history of where we come from and where we live and growing up in South Georgia. So we just touch on a lot of different topics. And, you know, we talked about Kendrick Johnson and Mary Turner and different names that you guys probably are not familiar with, or maybe you are. Um, Willie James, a bunch of different people. We talked about, you know, the how, you know, she's raising her black son, and, you know, in the midst of all of this chaos and, you know, the conversations that she probably has to have. We talked about, you know, our ancestors and um, the, the journey to being entrepreneurs and, you know, just being black bosses. Um, we talked about how the black women haven't really been getting any justice when it comes to these situations. They kind of get swept under the rug and you just get a body. You don't really get any, you know, anything. No, nothing. And then we also talked about just our experience with dealing with being profiled and how it's, what it's like, you know, the, to be from Southern Georgia and just to be a black woman in America. And it was a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. But before I get into the interview, I just want to address, uh, there was some black women that didn't understand a tweet that I put on Twitter. <clears throat> well, basically on Twitter the past couple of weeks, everybody, it's the same thing that it always happens. Everybody's arguing with everybody about different topics, different things. It's just a big clusterfuck of arguments. Every now and again, I'll say something, but I try to stay out of the mix of that because it's obvious that this is just some calculated bs like they just want us to keep going at each other's throat we're not able going we're not ever going to be able to really kind of focus on what the goal is that we're trying to accomplish if everybody is yelling at the same time so you know um one of my friends he posted and said these girls was just bigging each other up saying that they don't tear down each other but now here's a new week and here they are and I made the comment saying these are the same women that are telling black men to protect them and then getting mad at T.I. for um, being overprotective of his child when she was young and she sl- snuck out of the house and he took it upon himself to go to the gynecologist with her and check to make sure she hadn't done nothing. Totally a violation, hella embarrassing. But in his mind, he was being protective or whatever. And then J. Cole drops the song, 
talking about how he's not as informed and isn't doing as much. And, you know, black women do have something to say about, uh, you know, black men not helping and being involved in him, even him. He, he was basically saying, you know, everybody puts me on this pedestal, but I don't even read. I don't feel like I'm well-informed or well-equipped to deal with this. So how, instead of bashing me, sister, how do we protect you? Let's talk. Let's have some dialogue here. And that's the only thing I was trying to say in my in my statement about Tia. I wasn't glorifying what he did, even though no matter how much I tried to explain it and say that I'm not fucking with what he did, everybody's still trying to come down my throat about it. But I'm not taking up for him. I'm just saying, all we do is just go at each other's throat. When are we going to say, okay, this is how you protect me. This is what we need. When are we going to slow all of the, the yelling down and actually have a conversation? You, We don't like when y'all do it like this. That's, oh, that's policing a woman's body. That's too the fuck much. You don't tell us what to do with our body. You don't tell us what to wear and how to wear it. You need to talk to your sons. And then two, um, the second thing is, um, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought because y'all know I be smoking. Um, don't police our body. Oh, the songs that J. Cole did. Find another way. Your approach, we didn't like it. Or whatever the case may be. You need to find a different approach. We did not like your approach. Come at us a different way. Didn't like that. And then, you know, just, okay, we had J. Cole, um, J. Cole, T.I., and who else did I mention? Oh, just black men in general, I guess. Um, just, you know, let's have this discussion with these men and be like, yo, you you need to talk to your sons. Your sons are coming off hella aggressive. Tell them they can't get mad and, and hit a woman just because she don't want to talk to them or she don't like them. You you don't tell us what to wear. Stop policing our bodies. Stop telling us what to do with our bodies. No abortions and all of this. You don't tell people what to do with their body. And come at us correct. You need to realize privacy is everything. By him putting that out there about Deja, he totally violated her privacy. He violated everything, and it's not right. I'm not taking up for what he's doing. But me, like I said on Twitter, I pay attention to demeanor. I've seen T.I. over and over again run up on people or try to take a situation under his wing because he has this false sense of authority that he controls. He got to control everything in his life, even the things that he can't control, the things that are out of his hand. He got to go and figure it out. When a situation happened with his security guard getting um, murdered like that, he wanted to figure that out. He ordered all of those guns and, you know, he's the guy that has to do something and make sure you're going to see by this player. You know what I'm saying? Uh, same thing with Floyd Mayweather, whenever that was with, going on with him and Tamika or whatever. T.I. running up on Floyd Money Mayweather. Like, he, the, in his mind, he can protect his family at all costs. So he... He don't have it right. He ain't got it right. He's doing a lot of ignorant stuff when it comes to that. But if he didn't do anything, we also would have something to say about him. We would say, well, why you ain't protecting your child? You got all that security for yourself. What is security at for your children? If something was to happen to her after she had snuck out of the house with that little boy, what if he tried her and she didn't want to do anything with him and he ended up forcing it or something? Then it would have been all on the parents, especially T.I., being that he is the celebrity parent. So I'm not glorifying anything that he did. I'm just stating that how can we satisfy people that seem like they refuse to be satisfied with anything? What conversation do we have? We need to start teaching these people what protection of us looks like. How, and we, don't, we probably don't even know. 
But we just got to calm down with the rah, 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 pointing the fingers and ready to be mad at every single thing, every single body, instead of trying to understand or listening to them and explaining our stuff and having them listen to us. There needs to be more conversations around these things versus arguments and just anger. We need to talk because we all have the same end goal. We got the same end game, but for some reason, we just cannot come to terms to talk and discuss these things amongst each other. It needs to happen. I don't know what, I don't know how to do it. You know, I'm just stating that I'm observing how everybody's acting and y'all just looking for a reason every day to be mad on these apps. You wake up, you mad at this, you mad at that. Somebody retweets something else, you see that, now you mad at that. You don't even know what you really feel. You don't know how you really feel about these situations. You really, you're going off what the internet told you to feel, what the media told you to feel. And that is the problem. Nobody knows, nobody's truly owning their actions. Nobody's truly owning their demeanors and the way that they speak and the way that they carry themselves. They trying to throw it all off on everything else or make it seem like everything's somebody else's problem or they don't have to do it or whatever. It's easy to come up with excuses. That's the easiest thing to do. Just blurt out some excuses. But at the end of the day, what we really need is unity. We need unity amongst each other. We need unity amongst our peers, colleagues. We need everybody to join together and demand justice is served from here on out, not just right now. And we need it for Breonna Taylor. We need it for all these different people. The 19-year-old, I can't pronounce her name that well, um, from Tallahassee, Florida, but we need more people out here speaking up. You know, I try to do my part as best as possible. I hit it from different angles. I make sure I'm protesting, I'm donating, I'm talking about it, I'm making songs about it, I'm keeping it, you know, in me. I'm calling the phone numbers to the DA DA office and attorney general's office and talking to these people. I'm trying to get this, I'm trying to get something, you know what I'm saying? I really want to see justice out here, especially for KJ's family. Um, It's just for all of the families, but just... You know, whenever you're from a place and stuff like that is going on and you still got family there, you're like, you really want them to answer for that shit because this doesn't make sense. And then they just telling you any old thing and you're forced to believe it. So it's tough. And I've, I've said that many times, like people over here, some of them, you know, they never left from over here. So to them, they might have nothing but great experiences with cops and never heard of, a, you know, a black person that they care about having a bad situation with the cops. So they always probably just brushed it to the side. They don't really care. But now that it's coming out, oh, everybody care. And that's what we need. We need everybody to care. We need everybody to be involved. We need everybody really strong-willed people to go out here and face the world, you know, head on. Because it ain't easy. A lot of people are evil and they just want to live that out. No matter who you are, they if they, you're in the way of them being evil, they will cut you off. Some people just have an agenda, and that agenda is to spread hate. That's a horrible agenda to have, but that's their agenda, so we're going to let them have it. <laughs> but I don't want to take up too much of the time. I only wanted to use about 15 minutes of the time in the beginning to just kind of introduce this episode and I'll let y'all know, you know, what's going on and what it's going to be about. And also to address that situation that happened on Twitter because you got two black queens coming at me.
thinking that I'm glorifying T.I. I'm not glorifying that dude and what the fuck he did. I'm I'm completely agreeing with y'all. He shouldn't have did it and it was wrong. But, you know, I know I know that this guy probably thought in his head that this is protecting her. He don't have it all together. He needs to talk to his children more, especially Deja. Talk to them more. Figure out what they like, what they don't like. Get into their head. But don't. if you knew more about them off the flap, you wouldn't have to guess and create your own idea of who they are. You're creating these scenarios in your head, and that's not healthy. Nobody likes that. You need to fix that because that's just unattractive. When you're creating your own scenarios and own ideas in your head, that's just you tripping. So I ain't going to take up too much more of y'all time, man. Like I said, Busy Bad Boy, the host of the Get to Know Me podcast, welcome. So, welcome to the Get to Know Me podcast. I'm here with my special guest, Big oh. Miss. Hey, girl. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to my show. Thank you, boo. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here this morning, watering my garden. Very happy to have you. Um, I like to start it off kind of giving a little background on my guests and how, you know, we know each other. Yeah. But I like for you to kind of, you know, just tell them a little bit about yourself, whatever you want them to know. Okay. Intro. All right. Well, my name is Anissa Bass. I am from Valdosta, Georgia. Graduated from Valdosta State. I currently reside in Jacksonville, where I've just made the transition from full-time worker to part-time worker, part-time entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I started recently started a garden, and that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's just the light Yes, work. ma'am. I'll tell you about the, I got a dog, I got a kid, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, cool. we got stuff like that, yeah. but big, I, we call her a big Ness, you know, we've been, we've been saying that <laughs> for years. <laughs> we've known each other since we were kids, like we grew up together, yes. you know, school. I met you at ninth grade, we had that, um, we had that driving class. Yeah, that driver's ed class, yeah. that was pretty fun. And you never showed up <laughs> to class, like you stopped showing up or something. Yeah. You, you had bad attendance. I've had bad attendance. I was a little bad kid. Okay. And I, I grew out of it, I think, a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. But, th- yeah, and, like, Valasta, Georgia, let's just start there. Fun. Because y'all already know what this episode is about. I've already warned you guys. <laughs> um, we we are from Valdosta, Georgia, and that name is very unique to some for football and high school reasons and to mm-hmm. others for, you know, the other reasons yes. that we'll go into detail on. So I just want to uh, pop it off with what we were just talking about. I was on Instagram one day and you were on there talking about Mary Turner. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard about Mary Turner, which is extremely strange being that we both grew up there. Yes. And uh, the situation happened there. It was horrific. And it should be taught to us in the schools that are there For about sure. the history of that place. But, you know, even my mom, like I told you, she never heard about it. And I had to kind of educate my brothers and everybody about what actually happened to Mary Turner. So Mm -hmm. I just want you to kind of, you know, blend, you know, go in on that on that part that you were saying on Instagram and then I'll I'll join in with you. So um, basically, Mary Turner was um, it's a story about a pregnant woman from I believe it was 1918 Mm -hmm. who was lynched by a mob in South Georgia. Um, Just to give you a little background on the story, basically what happened was there was a, at the time there was a plantation, Valdosta is very known for cotton fields and the the history of making money for cotton 
is a part of Valdosta's history. Valdosta at one point was the largest cotton producing city in the United States. At one point, the fourth, I think it was the South, the South area. I want to say it was Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, all those kind of South Southern states uh, made up the fourth largest monopoly for cotton. I mean, made the fourth largest economy in the world because of cotton. Cotton was king, which is also the reason why in Georgia you learn about Eli Whitney. You learn about mm-hmm. the cotton game because it has an extensive history of making people in Georgia a lot of money, a whole mm-hmm. lot of money, wealthy money. Uh, and, and they did this for, for hundreds of years. So mm-hmm. the wealth has just trickled down through the, through the years, through the decades, and it's very obvious still even today in Valdosta. Yeah. Um, but to get back onto the Mary Turner story, um, basically at the time, you still had these plantations and fields that needed to be tended to, even though slavery was over. A lot of people never left. A lot of people stayed with the same plantations because they were able to provide for their families and still get paid and things like that. So, um, but this one guy, he was known particularly, and I can't, honestly, I can't remember the name, but you can definitely go on Google and figure out the names, but the story is still roughly the same. The slave owner was known to be very, very um, aggressive, very mean. He, he was known to hit people who would work for him. So it was hard for him to find workers. So what he would do is he would bail people out of jail and then have them come work with them on his plantation. Well, this one guy named City Johnson got arrested and he went through this system. The man paid for him to get out. He goes and works his time. Well, one day he gets into it with the, uh, with the plantation owner and he shoots him and he kills him. And he beats his wife on top of that. Mm. So, um, of course, um, he was, like I said, he was a very prominent um, landowner in Valdosta. So, of course, all the white people got upset and they go out and they're looking for this guy, Sidney Johnson. Well, in the time, over the course of the weekend, and we're not just talking about Valdosta or Lowndes County. We're also talking about the other counties, the surrounding counties. We're talking about Thomas County. Um, We're talking about a lot of those other counties, Lanier County. These are other names that we are familiar with that we played people from those areas growing up, but they were also complicit in a lot of this as well. So they basically went on a lynching spree and they lynched about 11 people. Um, they said the, the, you never really know what the real number is because the, a lot of times people went missing. Um, there were a few people who were presumed dead, but they never found their bodies. Mm. Um, so you can't really, even with, even with lynching numbers that are documented, a lot of black people go missing. A lot of black right. people never heard from again. And those people are, usually, a lot of them have been lynched and been covered up and their bodies have never been found. Um, mm. and me and you, me and you were talking about this earlier and it's because a lot of times the river, a lot of people don't realize the river is a good way to discard of a body because at that time, water just comes rushing through. It'll take them out to the Willacoochee River, down to the Mississippi, or they'll get stuck and dug in the mud and the bodies will just stay there because white people weren't interested in digging up these bodies, right? Right. So um, basically, there, was, there could have been more people, but one guy, his name, was, his name was Hayes Turner. His wife at the time, who was Mary Turner, was eight months pregnant. And Hayes Turner ended up getting mixed in with this whole Sidney Johnson case, and they ended up lynching her husband. So Mary Turner, of course, being from a small town, you know who did it, you know who's responsible, you know who the racists are. And so she went down to downtown and told them, hey, who y'all killed my husband? I'm going to get y'all and take y'all to jail. Now, if you notice with black women who are lynched, and the thing about the Mary Turner story is that black women who were lynched are not always given a forefront. And usually black women who were lynched were not lynched because of some illegal thing. They, hit, they didn't rape a white woman. They didn't rape a white man. They weren't doing robbery. What a lot of them got lynched for was what you call wild talk. 
Okay. Mm. And black women still have that to this day. We got flip ass mouths, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically that's what she did. She went down there and was like, hey, y'all gonna y'all did this to my husband. I'm gonna take y'all to jail. They called that wild talk and they said, oh no, this, you know, basically I did, I'm sure they called her every other name in the book. Right. She's not gonna, she's not gonna do this. So Mary Turner for about half a day or so, she did go, you know, kind of trying to hide because she was trying to get out of Valdosta, but they ended up finding her. Obviously, her condition where she's eight months pregnant makes it very, very easy to find her, easy mm-hmm. to catch up with her. And that's what they did. They caught up with her. Um, and how the story goes is that they hung her upside down on a tree. Um, they cut her baby out of her stomach, which to the account of a lot of people, you could hear the cries of the baby. And then yeah. they stepped on the baby's head. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, this is a little, little known fact, they riddled her body with bullets. They, after that, they shot yep. her body up. Um, and she About 20 dying. times I read. Yeah, oh, girl, it, was over 100, it was over 100 white men out there. See, yeah, it was 200. The thing about the news, the thing about the recorded history is that a lot of people, even if you look up stories about Mary Turner, I mean, just, I can go on and on about how the Valdosta Daily Times ended up burning down after this situation because the Valdosta mm. Daily Times was writing about this story. And I guarantee you, if we could ever, which I don't know if we ever will, but if we could ever find those articles from Valdosta, I guarantee you they were explicit on how it was probably in, 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 integral in finding mm-hmm. these people and lynching these people, which is why you didn't want this information to get out. Wow. And, and to this day, I question the validity uh, of Valdosta Daily Times because it seems they are very skewed and it seems that they are very biased to oh, yes. the white majority in Valdosta. And that is still oh, yes. today. But yes. that is another story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely are. To, at one point, somebody was able to dig up an old Valdosta Daily Times article that talked about Mary Turner. But even in these articles that would talk about her lynching, um, they never mentioned that she was pregnant. None of the local newspapers never mentioned that she was pregnant or that they killed her baby. So this is obviously a big situation. So after this happened, black people fled from South Georgia. I mean, seven, I think it's something that 700 black people fled from Lowndes County and Brooks County, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Brooks County is Quitman, Georgia. Um, yeah. 700 people left and fled from Lowndes County. Um, black people, they left behind their land. They left behind their houses. They left behind their animals because like Tulsa, even though Tulsa, Oklahoma got a bomb dropped on them, Valdosta, because we're so close to these rich white people, the black people were doing very well. We yeah. had land ownership. We had all these things, but we left those things because we were scared for our lives. Mm-hmm. It, black people were leaving so much so because you have to realize at the time, black people were the labor class. We were leaving so much that white people were threatening us for our lives if we left, knowing good and damn well that they had just lit, went on a lynching spree in South Georgia and lynched 12, 12 to 25 black people and think black people are just supposed to sit around and be like, okay, we're just going to be okay with this. No, they were terrified, so they left. Mm. Um, the thing about the Mary Turner lynching that's so heinous, obviously, is that she's pregnant, but it goes against the narrative of the big, scary black man. At the time, they would use lynching as a way to say, well, you know, these black men are rapists, these black men are dangerous, these black men are this, these black men are that, yada, yada, yada. And that may not have been true. We know now that a lot of white women used to lie on stuff like that. Yeah. So what they would do, so, um, sorry, um, I just spilled my water. Oh, you're so, good. I'm drinking too. <laughs> oh, so her, her story went against the narrative. It went against everything that people would, would use to justify lynching black women. There was also another woman in Georgia, and I can't remember what her name was, but she, was, she, she wasn't pregnant, but she got um, lynched for wild talk too. And her story, I mean, you you look in the newspaper, you look at the records and you're like, wow, talk, like, what is that? And then you look it up and you're like, oh, she just had a flip mouth. Yeah. But 
white people do not like that. And even to this day, you have a level of white, regular white people trying to police black people. Or mm-hmm. they'll say things like, how dare you speak to me like that? How dare oh, yeah. you talk to me this way? Because oh, yeah. in their head, they still live in a space where you can't talk to them like this. You're not allowed to speak to them like this. Mm-hmm. You're you know? beneath them. Exactly. So the Mary Turner lynching kind of put a highlight on Valdosta. And like you said earlier, Valdosta is very well known for sports, especially in the South Georgia area. It's known for its military base. It's known for wild adventures. It's known for the college there. But if Mm -hmm. you do a Google search on Valdosta, you will see a plethora of racist shit that comes up. Oh, yeah. A few years ago, Valdosta State had to disband one of their fraternities for racism. Okay. You have um, Willie James. You have... Um, Willie James, who was killed in police custody in 1998, nobody knows what happened. No justice has been served. Valdosta State Prison is one of the deadliest prisons in the state of Georgia. It has some of the mm-hmm. highest rates of murder, or I would say, I would say deaths. Say yeah, murder. deaths. We'll, we'll say, say deaths. Death. It's one of the most dangerous prisons, and they will tell you. I watched, um, I was watching Scared Straight or something like that, and you know, they, they bring the little kids on there to tell them, hey, don't get in jail, don't do this or whatever. This guy was on there, and he said, came from Valdosta State Prison. It's dangerous down there. They will kill you. He said, and it was such a quick, I had to rewind (coughs) and say, did this man, And because they were in Atlanta, I said, did this man just say Valdosta? So he Mm. went from Valdosta up. My brother was was in prison. He'll tell you Valdosta State Prison was one of his worst experiences in the the criminal justice system. In the criminal justice system. Okay? So when we're sitting back and we're thinking about you know, Valdosta and its history, Valdosta has a very, very, very racist history. And there, there's probably not a decade that goes by without some racist crap happening, which we can fast forward to 2013 when they found a six, 17-year-old boy rolled up in the mat. And somehow or some way, they have tried to explain away this murder. Right. And the level of cognitive dissonance that white people have in South Georgia is incredible. The fact that they will believe outlandish lies just because it fits a narrative that makes them the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's what bothers me with the KJK specifically, is that they're, the community believes the story that it was an accident. That is the problem for me. The community has treated the family like shit. Yes. Has talked bad about the family. Yeah. Because they believe in it. And it's like this, it's almost like when we talk about racism, it's not always just systemic. There's this mindset around black people and black justice. Mm-hmm. There's this mindset around, there's a reason why, you know, white people are getting so mad because they can't stand seeing the word black. Black yeah. lives matter. They go onto everything that they're logging onto and they see black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives matter. Now they could disengage and they could just say, you know, whatever, because you have the option to swipe past these things. Yeah. Okay. But they don't. And it makes them so infuriated and it makes them so angry because to them, Black lives never mattered that much to where all these all these businesses should have to stand behind them. Yeah, you know, they, they can't lives, understand it. They flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it, to them, and that's why I tell my cousin, I said, white people right now are having a glitch in the system. It's mm-hmm. like a video game. It's like their programming is getting fucked up right now, and it's starting to show in the way that they're interacting with not just black people, but mm-hmm. like everybody. They <laughs> are going crazy. Point, they're, they're like, you're a foreigner you're an immigrant who doesn't pay taxes, you know? Right. <laughs> like, they just es- escalated all the way to the top. So, I-, I-, I don't know. But in South Georgia specifically, it's a different type of beast when it comes to racism. Even, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Even in Jacksonville, it's a different type of beast when it comes to racism. Yeah. Um, Even in California, it's a yeah, different type I mean, of beast. 
exactly everything is just like so different depending on where you're at but mm-hmm. i think some of the areas that have the most obvious um systemic racism and where things i feel like are still very plantation like is in georgia right georgia louisiana mississippi alabama a lot of these places are still backwood they lost the civil war but they never lost their privilege which is why people say how can the losers fly their confederate flags because they still run everything the only thing they did was lose yeah the only thing they did was have to say their government had to say okay and let me tell you back back it up let me just back it up Uh the people in the civil war lost because they were not skilled in fighting let me make that clear. They had spent 300 years letting other people do their work for them. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to defending themselves, they didn't really know what the fuck to do. Right. That's what happened. And then they also let the, the Civil War troops up for the um, for the Confederates stay on their land, give them all this stuff. And then when the Confederates left their land, they could no longer till their land. They could no longer plant their stuff. So that also made white people in the South more upset because they had a lot of, they lost a lot of property in terms of like the civil war and damage to property. They lost a lot of wealth. They lost a lot of money. Some some of it still obviously made it through, but a lot of them had to take a lot of time to rebuild themselves. And that was also another point of contention for a lot of Southern whites when they lost the Confederate, when they lost the um, civil war. Yeah. They were very upset about that. For sure. For sure. So yeah, it's, um, it's, that also specifically, like I said, has this very interesting history, but it just seems like it can never get away. It can never get away from the racism. And in 20, was it 2012? Was it 2012 when Trump ran? They had a big Trump rally there. Yeah. Do you know how sad they, kicked, they had a big Trump rally? They kicked out a, a group of black kids that literally had just walked in. They literally just walked in, but because of the color of their skin, they were obviously going to be troublemakers and they kicked them out immediately. And the sad thing was, let me tell you how sad this is. There was a kid on there. I won't say his name. It's a white kid who I knew from Nashville, Georgia, which is Marion County, South Georgia. And he came and he was like, um, he came. And when I started working at Vadasta State in the dining hall, we had, it had been years since we had seen each other. Can you close the door, please? So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Lies came in. You can just close the gate. Yeah. Um, so I had seen him and he remembered me because we had been friends when we were younger. And I thought that that was like dope that he would remember me because it was like, had been like 10 over 10 years that he had seen me mm-hmm. and I remember seeing him on the front page of the news at the Trump rally and feeling like this level of not necessarily betrayal but like there's this level of southern hospitality that we just we're polite enough to ignore the racism yeah it seems mm-hmm. we're super polite and, I, that, and that's what I was talking about too on Facebook <laughs> like that's what that's the epitome of southern hospitality yeah when you know that there's racism going on and you just completely ignore it on both sides right we can talk about it in our respective corners mm-hmm. but we when we come sitting down on the, at the same table it's it's hard to have that dialogue or nobody wants to have that dialogue yeah it's you know and i have because people are it, people. are so afraid i said they that are. on my instagram and like they you just don't understand the level it's so intense down there it's a lot of pressure Mm-hmm. It's a small, com- it's a big community, but it's a small community. You say the wrong thing, you can lose your job. It ain't that many opportunities. Everybody know everybody. And that's the fear For that sure. everybody has. They don't want to speak on certain things. Please don't For say sure. that, you know. For sure. And even like growing up, I remember parents saying to us when we would go into places, don't show out in front of these white people. Things like that. Like it was so much fear about how they looked at us and how, you know, we just had to be a certain way. Yeah, I mean, even, um, I mean, there would be times where, you know, my grandmother would just be like, you know, kind of, you know, 
keep walking, keep your head down, keep walking, you know? And it wasn't, it wasn't that she was literally telling me to keep my head down, but because that was so ritualistic for them to keep their head down in public and not look at these white folks. Right. Just keep it moving. When I started working in Valdosta at TJ Maxx, and I have a big thing with eye contact. I like, I understood at a very young age, direct eye contact makes white people feel nervous. So (laughs) I I think you went out. Oh, sorry. Yes. Somebody tried to call me. Okay. Good thing, right? In business, mm-hmm. they're supposed to give eye contact. They're supposed to have a firm handshake. But what I realized is that white people, it makes them very nervous. Right. It makes them very, very nervous. Um, and it was just something I had to kind of get used to. And I remember actively thinking to myself, I'll never just not look somebody in their eyes just to make them feel comfortable. I'll never not speak my mind just to make somebody else feel comfortable because my voice is the only thing that I have. And that's the only thing that speaks for me. Right. So I have to be able to feel comfortable in that. And, and a lot of black people in South Georgia have not learned that. Mm-hmm. And white people like it that way. Yeah, it's comfortable. It's I remember the Forsyth video with Oprah and how they was they were just not like, ugh, it was just gross. They didn't want no. And then, yeah. And then the no black wealth black. aspect of Oprah, like they really can't stand her. Oh, yeah. When you have black wealth, when you have black money. When you have those type, they really don't like that shit. Like they really don't. It's like it's 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 worse for them because some white people, a lot of white people, actually feel like if somebody else has something happen, they don't have it. And I'll use this as an example. So I got my promotion at my job, and I worked hard. You know, I got my degree in business. So getting a promotion up through the ranks, like you know, it's something I have been working towards. Not really working towards, but I have good work ethic. So you know, yeah, whatever. So I remember getting a tr- promotion coming here to Jacksonville and there was this young lady who was working with me. She was a white girl, very capable, very similar backgrounds for me and her. You know, she grew up in a poor, poorer area or whatever country or whatever. And I kind of I'm black. <laughs> so, you know, similar backgrounds there. And then um, she ends up um, we're like at the same level, like literally she was at a job like me and she was ready to move up. She was ready to find something different, but there was no upward mobility. Same as me. Mm-hmm. College degree. Same. Everything else was the same. Like. She was up underneath me, so she's counting the money in our office, and she's getting the bags ready. And I have to validate and confirm the money, so we're sitting in there talking or whatever. And she was talking about being a manager, and I said, "Yeah, girl." I was like, "This." I said, "Do it." I think that you're capable. I think that you're smart. Like you obviously have it in you. I was like, "And if the the business, the job that you have isn't going to give you what you, the money that you want, don't waste any more time." I said, "You can do manage. You can manage and then find something else." She was like, yeah, she's like, because if you can be a manager, then I know I can. And I looked at her, if you, if I can be a manager, you know, I, girl, baby girl, we are the same. We are two different people on two different mm-hmm. paths. I got here because of my wherewithal, but don't ever look at, and I, and I looked at her and she was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And I was think, I said, I think you meant it how you said it. Yeah. And that's the truth. You look at me, even though we have very similar backgrounds, we both work very hard, yada, yada, yada. And even though she was never disrespectful, she respected me as a manager, those types of Freudian slips let you know where you stand with white mm-hmm. people. They, t- they let you know, white people, will, if, even the most well-intentioned, and not all of them, not all of them, okay? But it's a lot of them. And I would even say majority as in more than 51%. Right. I would even go so far to say more than 51% of white people do not believe that black people deserve as the, and it makes them upset when they see sorts of things and 
it, it, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's incredible to me. South Georgia has, a, has done a very good job of making sure Black people accumulate no wealth. No wealth. No. And, and going back to the KJ case, I just want to definitely make sure we talk about Kendrick Johnson because... Uh, you know, that's like the biggest thing to me. Being from Valdosta, Georgia, I know that I've been very vocal all of these years, and I know you have, and a lot of us have, but it's just, it's still, like you said, it's been a real lack of support for the family, Mm -hmm. and everybody's been brainwashed to to believe that if they say it in the news, then it gotta be the truth, and it's like, I don't understand how people can believe that that was oh him accidentally slipped like it's too horrific and I didn't even know I just found out whenever I saw his dad at the rally in Atlanta on that past Saturday that mm-hmm. they cut his tongue out and yeah girl uh, uh, I'm like what, what, when the fuck did waist, that happen all of his organs from his waist to his head were removed his brain his skull his eyeballs his tongue Yes, oh all of his organs. All of his organs. And that is one of the reasons. And see, the, uh, okay, I could just go on and on about the case. They mutilated the this little boy's body. That, yeah, oh, absolutely. No. Oh, my God. Listen, no funeral Ugh. home does that. No funeral home does that. Mm. No funeral home does that. Let me tell you exactly what it is. What happens is, is that these, the, the thing about the story that always pisses me off is that when the family asked more questions, if it was truly an accident, they should get more answers, you know? Exactly. But when they ask questions, they get more questions. And whenever that's the situation, that's when you know something's not right. Also, right. Also, if you go back, I've watched several videos. I've, and I kept, and mind you, my memory, I don't have the best memory, but with stuff like that shocks me, certain things always just like I said to you earlier it just itched my brain it just stayed mm-hmm. there and it itched my brain and itched my brain and so one of the things that I see commonly on a lot of the YouTube videos is they talk about they argue one way or the other it was an accident it's a, overwhelmingly a lot of white people who believe it was an accident and if you don't believe me go on YouTube and you will see how many white people really believe that it was an accident I mean these out these impossible this impossible scenario they, Ooh, they and it just angers me Ooh. and they 100% believe and, and girl in other countries they believe it they completely believe it's an accident because they believe the reports of the believe that those people would not lie but black people know better right so right. the thing about the KJ case it, it, there were always more questions and like the level of cover up would be so extensive even to this day I don't even know if they'll ever solve the case because they destroyed so much evidence they destroyed the whole building they that's what I'm saying oh like my they god and that's exactly I don't know who par- you would have to bring in because everybody is corrupted so the GBI, the FBI, Lowndes County Sheriff's Office, mm-hmm. they all helped. The school. So let me tell listen, let me tell you the parallel between Mary Turner and Kendrick Johnson. They destroyed the gym. They destroyed Valdosta Daily Times the same year. Valdosta has a history of doing these things. And a lot of people want to believe these are once in time, once in a lifetime chance. No. Valdosta has a history of covering up murders. Valdosta and South Georgia counties and probably places in Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi have a history of covering up black murders. And if you start going down the rabbit hole, and trust me when I tell you, it gets 
very deep. You will find family after family after family after family that talks about how their child was murdered or their their person was found dead. And let me tell you, we're fighting the police right now, but the battle is not just with the police. The person right. who killed Ahmad Aubrey was not a police officer. He was connected mm-hmm. to the police department, but he was not actively a police officer. The yep. people that they presumed killed Kendrick Johnson were high school teenagers. Okay, mm-hmm. the what the people who they assume killed Tamla Halsford, she was. They are they're regular white people who are protected in their whiteness by the system, and that is where a lot of people a lot. That's where a lot of people need to really kind of open their eyes because, like I said, even with the KJ case, it's a it's a case of what we believe is a cover up. But right. it's a case also of the epitome of white privilege and using white people using the criminal justice system to be able to get by, which is why you'll see white women call the cops on, on black men and tell them I'm calling the cops on you, which is why they don't mind weaponizing and using the police and the criminal justice system to get their way. So let's make sure that that's the thing. But the KJ case, from, from beginning to end, it makes absolutely no sense. No but sense. if you go back, if you go back, at the time I was listening, I was reading the Valdosta Daily Times on a regular basis because when my mom first told me the story, I said, she said they found a kid rolled up in the mat at school. I said, what? I said, let me see the newspaper. So I read the newspaper. I said, well, what they, what they said happened? She said, they said he, he tripped into a mat and got stuck while retrieving the shoe. I said, that sounds like a lie. Right. Like, that was the first thing that came out of my tongue. I said, it don't sound like the truth, mom. I said, it sounds like a lie. I said, let me read this. And then I read the newspaper and it literally said it in the newspaper. And I said, well, how did they figure this out from yesterday? I'm thinking they got the video footage or something where they seen what happened. Then I find out, okay, there's no video footage of what happened. They know that this is or, fishy. The biggest thing is like whenever a student dies in a school, you would think that the school would have maybe a big memorial or some type of thing for the student. They completely mm-hmm. acted like it didn't happen. They said his name at the graduation, but didn't want his mama them to come to the graduation. This doesn't make sense. They also did not let his sister walk exactly. during her graduation. And so, like, I, and and mind you, for background, the mother was a school bus driver for Lowndes County mm-hmm. schools. So she drove. She had been. A, I think she had been a school bus driver at the time for maybe eight years or something. For for a long, that was her career. And to have the community turn their back on you. So again, this is a level of people in South Georgia. They they. It's hard for them to want to believe those things. They'll be quick to believe that. You know, it was an accident because they don't believe that you deserve justice. And then now, now though, after seven years, you'll get white people that say, oh, right. Oh, yeah. They, they got right a whole group chat. But how come seven years they ago got you didn't say chat. that? Why seven mm-hmm. years ago you didn't say that? How come now you're saying these types of things? But seven years ago, it was, the, oh, calm down. It was an accident. Let that boy rest. Let that boy stay in. Why y'all keep Why bringing y'all keep it up? This, yada, yada, yada. Thank why? you. But now y'all are like, okay, well, something wasn't if right. If it was something an accident, why are y'all breaking his tombstone? Girl, that part. I mean, just the whole way. So if you go back and you watch, I, I think the only people that the then sheriff did an interview with was the local. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to talk to CNN. And he was so defensive. He was so defensive. Mm. It was incredible. He was so, and, and, and like, defensiveness is obviously a, a lie type situation. It was an accident. It, I don't understand, you know, just kind of being very aggressive with the family. I would feel like this. If you really are a public mm-hmm. servant and this family is coming to you and they're expressing all these, all these things, and even if they're upset, obviously upset because their child is dead, probably telling you they don't believe you, probably saying, you know, all these other things, you should still treat them with compassion, number one, because it's your job. Number two, because you should validate how the parents speak and then still try to make sure that the answers that you 
that's not what they were able to do because they were charged with right. murder. You can't do that if you're not being open and transparent and honest. But what I, what I was saying was, when you watch YouTube videos, you'll see they'll talk about all the forensics, all this and the third, but what they don't talk about is mm-hmm. motherfucker. Oh, they never talk about that corner. They don't talk <laughs> about the corner. And I don't know how he doesn't come up in conversation because CNN did several videos, several He, he was open this, okay? in the beginning the about corner, it. Oh, for sure. No, because this is what I believe when I think about the psychology of people. The coroner thought this was going to be a blow off the lid, big old mm-hmm. story. Right. And so he felt comfortable talking because he was thinking like, oh, man. And initially, nobody was really thinking right. it was a cover up. Uh, they, I think initially they were hoping that they would just explain it away and call it a day. But when you have people asking questions, I think the coroner was like, OK, well, this is my chance to kind of be tied to the good side, tied to fame, tied to, you know, the, the, I can help solve this right. case. But then the coroner, after what, eight months, was like, I don't have anything else to say. I don't yep. want to say anything. But this is after he did a 15 minute interview with CNN, basically talking about how the Lowndes County Sheriff's Office or whoever showed up at the scene did a horrible job and that something was mm-hmm. amiss. After that, he said he, he had nothing else to say and said nothing else. But this was after CNN also obtained two separate coroner reports. This is another part of the story that doesn't seem to people don't seem to know. That there were two coroner reports. When CNN started doing the investigation, they put in an open records request for the coroner's office and they put in an open records request for Lowndes County. And see, when you're not used to covering up a murder or you're not used to, or, or, or you're just dumb as country folks, you don't believe in covering your steps or you don't understand how to cover right. your steps for CNN because they're investigators. That's what they do. So they got this request from both of the places. The one that they got from the coroner's office, which was signed and dated, but the coroner's office probably at the time still had some integrity and was doing things the right way, um, sent out the corn the thing and it basically said, hey, this something, the, 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 the scene was compromised, something wasn't right, you know, just, he was just kind of like making a notation like, you know, this kind, this scene was compromised. And it was a long notation. When they went to Lowndes County Sheriff's Office to get the same report, it said nothing about that at all. It said, I showed up at the aforementioned time. That's it. And it was not signed and it was not dated. So did someone fix this before they sent it out to CNN? Did Lowndes County Sheriff's Office have the original accurate one of the coroner's office and then just sent in some bullshit one. But what happened is the coroner's office did what they were supposed to do and they sent the, they sent the first one. And they have mm-hmm. two different dates on them a week apart or something like that. So a lot of people don't really look at that is the crux of like a lot of the question. Stop talking after doing several interviews talking about how something wasn't right. Okay. It's and too fishy. It is too fishy. And then you'll have two different coroner reports. This is never talked about in the story. And that's one of the reasons why I also think the family was very, very confused and very curious because CNN came down here and was doing too much digging and too much talking. Yeah. That's the reason why they would not, why wouldn't they want to do, uh, do business with the local, with, with CNN? Because you have... Because you got something to hide. The Anybody would have been open to talk to CNN if it was an honest accident by a you know a young boy it's a horrible accident you know they would have been open to talk about it come to the school you know nah they didn't want to talk they didn't imagine i can't even imagine like i don't have children but i can't imagine the pressure you know raising a black son whenever you were you know living in Valdosta. even now you know no matter where you're at like what how do you do you do you have conversations or how do you do that like what do you do 
Um, I am just blessed that my son is very smart, very aware, and very logical. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, he goes to he he grew up. We we he started going to school in Valdosta. He went to the predominantly black schools. Okay, until mm-hmm. second grade, and then from second grade up until now, he's now in seventh grade. Going to, going to the seventh grade, he is going to he went to a predominantly white school, like a magnet school or a multicultural school, but predominantly white. Um, but I. I just have conversations with him. I'm first of all, probably one of the blackest people that he will ever meet in his life. And <laughs> I know a lot of black history, a lot of black facts. I look those things up. So I'm constantly feeding him this knowledge mm-hmm. um, and not with a level of hate because my son is also, he, at a very early age, I realized he was a chameleon, right? He would be with me and he would act one way. He would be with his dad. He would act a different way. He would act with my parents a different way. He would just act whatever's allowable with those people. He learned very early how to change environments to fit his needs. And he's very much the same way today. Like he can be in a predominantly white environment and still be his true authentic fine self. He could be in a predominantly black environment and still be his true authentic self. That's just who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will tell you about an incident that he had at school. And sometimes my ancestors be talking to me. And if you don't listen to your ancestors, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Open up, listen to you. They, they, they speak to you. Oh yes. So one day I'm in the car. I don't know. We were talking about, uh, I don't know what we were talking. I was talking about the fact that, I had really never had nobody call me a nigger to my face. Um, and I just, I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I wouldn't invite that type of energy, but I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were having a conversation. My son was in the backseat and I, I think my friend, my homegirl was in the car with me. And I was like, I would, I've never heard that before. I was like, well, if somebody called me a nigger, I would call them a cracker ass cracker because that's mm-hmm. what Charlemagne says. Right? Yeah. And so um, Levi like laughed in the background he's like laughing he's like you know of course he rolls his eyes most of the time my son is very obnoxious he's very if you meet him you'll <laughs> understand what i mean he's like a little man like he's smart he's articulate he's all these other things so he's looking at me like okay mom um and so two days later he comes home from school he's like well let me tell you what happened today and i said well, what happened he said he was at school and him and his friends were sitting at a table they were having lunch and the kids were really loud there was one particular kid was being just obnoxious and like rude just in people's faces in their lunch they're trying to eat and Levi was like, you know, hey, like, you know, you're acting real rude right now. And the, guy, the kid was like, and you're acting like a nigger. And Levi said, you're acting like a crackhead cracker. And his friends was like, ooh. And I was like, well, did y'all get in trouble? He said, no. I said, see? I said, and, and that was one of the things I had told him the, day, the previous day. I said, yeah. you say these things to them to give them the shock value that they thought that they were going to get from you. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them to go about their business. Right. That's what you did. That's exactly what happened. Levi said the boy politely got up and left the table. He then came back the next day and said, he apo- the kid apologized to him, mm. which I thought was very good. And I told my son, I said, accept his apology. I said, know who he is. Yeah. Know who he is. I said, but accept his apology and just move forward. There's no point in, in keeping that stuff hashed up. I said, because most of the stuff he's saying to you, he's learning from his parents. Right. I said, he probably went home and told his parents, let me tell y'all what I said to them today. Mm-hmm. And thought it was thought he was doing the right thing, and his parents were like, "No, Jimmy, we say that at home. You don't say that at the hospitality. I'm talking about. Right. You know what I'm saying? They'll say the nigger at home, but they barbecue at the bonfires in the third. They get around you. Oh, you're the best. You're my dog. You're my homeboy. You know mm-hmm. all that kind of crazy stuff. So, yeah, the South is is, is, a, is a different. It's, a, it's a definitely a different type of beast. Have you ever definitely. had any experience with somebody profiling you? I know you said nobody never called you nigga to your face, but has anybody ever profiled you or anything? Being a black Girl, man? Yeah, they profile me all the time. When I go out, because I have locks, um, right. and usually they're unkempt, um, and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So I usually look like some mixed but goddess, 
some natural garden gods. I don't know. That's what I'm trying to vibe. I be trying to that's your vibe. <laughs> but I know people think that I steal, especially when I do used to do things like couponing, where you gotta like look at different numbers, go back to your phone, flip through the book, go do this, go do that. Yeah. I remember I went to Publix a couple of times and their LP would follow me. First of all, men are not just walking around a grocery store not shopping. That's not what men do. Men are in and out the grocery store. Why is this man following me around the store? Um, and he's playing clothes. I'm like, oh yeah, they think I'm they think I'm stealing. And right. usually that's really what it is. It's, it's like in the tone of like retail, like they think I'm stealing. But what I will get is like, um, at, at my job, I stepped down from my job now. So now I'm just cashier because I needed the easy way. So I just cashier. And um, a lot of times I move too fast for people to comprehend because I'm I'm efficient. I'm good. I'm smart. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know how to count money. I counted money for years. Um, that was my job actually at TJ Maxx. I counted, I counted the money. So, um, and it got so good. Like I could, I could hold $20, like $21 bills and tell you when it was 20. Like I was just, I was just used to dealing with money. So sometimes they'll look at me and they're like, they'll count their change or like, they'll like, look at the receipt and, oh, did you do, did you do that return? Or did you do that? Yes. Yes, I did, ma'am. Get on, get on the line now. I got somebody else to deal with. Goodbye. Go right. ahead and check your receipt. Go ahead and check your receipt where I can't see you because if you look back at me, I'm going to be staring at you like, and I was right. <laughs> so that's probably, it's a level of, and I do, and, and don't get me wrong. I do think I do have light skin privilege. I'm a light skin black woman. I'm very phenotypically black. So I have big lips, big nose. Um, my hair is very kinky, but I do have light skin. And mm-hmm. I do think that people treat me a little, I think if I was dark skinned, that maybe they would treat me a little bit more aggressively or eye me a little bit differently than mm-hmm. if I was, if I'm the color that I am too. So, yeah, the darker the berry. You know, that's what they say. That's what they say. I, I, I love me chocolate either way it goes. So. Yeah, yeah. But it how do you, I wanted to highlight on like, you know, it's been a lot of black women, you know, being attacked from all angles, you know, and, a lot of times, like I was speaking with my mom on this, you know, we don't necessarily get justice with the black males at all, but sometimes we at least get a face or we get an arrest or something of that nature. But with the women like Sandra Bland and, you know, um, mm. the the 19 year old, I can't pronounce her name, <laughs> the one that just, uh, this situation. Toyin. Yeah. Toyin Salau. Yeah. And then Breonna Taylor and even the, mm-hmm. you know, this mysterious. Pamela Halford. Yeah. The mysteriousness of Kanika Jenkins, like oh, for sure, it's like you just get a body. You never really get answers with the women. You never really get anything with the women. You just get a body, and then they give you like a law, and they like, oh yeah, and then that's it. That's a yeah. That's like a part of being like the second second class citizen. You know, mm. we are women. We are black, and then we are women. So who's really interested in finding out justice for us besides us? And there's a smaller number of us. See, black men have the luxury to have black women and black men mm-hmm. on their side. But a lot of times, it, and I don't, and I think it's for a lot of different reasons, but black men are not always at the forefront when, when we're violated. I mean, and unfortunately, um, the condition is that I think that Sometimes I think that black men feel like they can't, they don't understand how, they don't know how, or they don't see the value in it. They don't understand the value in it. They've never valued a black woman. They never valued these types of things. So they don't see what the importance is or why they should have to do these things or why they should do these things. Right. Come, on, Come on now, because you're barking. <laughs> Sorry, my dog was barking inside, basically begging me to come outside. Look, we um, getting to know you. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's a slippery slope because I have a, I have a black son and I watch mm-hmm. a lot of black women who say, um, you know, black women should not be at the forefront of these fights. Black women should not be doing 
And you know me, I've gone through some protests. I yeah. have very, I'm very spoken and very vocal about these, um, about injustices to all black people. So oh, yes. I'm, I'm in between because I have a black man who loves me and protects me. The black men in my life have loved me and have protected me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I have, my friends are like that. They're brothers, mm-hmm. their fathers, you know, maybe not have come through the way brothers for sure are there as a protecting um, per, a protector for them. So I have a luxury where I, I have had that and I appreciate that. So I want to nurture that. Maybe black women who may have not felt this or may have not had these types of things, they don't feel the same way. And that's valid. And we have to listen to those types of women and we have to say, okay, what can we do to make this situation better? And overall, I feel like it's more accountability for black men and more yeah. accountability for black men amongst themselves because yeah. black women hold themselves to a degree of, you know, we, we always trying to one up each other. I ain't even gonna lie. We love each other, but Hey, you know, and we can get a nice little degree over somebody or we can get this, especially amongst our friends. And we're very competitive and black women make money. Black women are the largest growing entrepreneurs, largest growing millionaires. I mean, we are just ambitious in that way and we support each other. Mm-hmm. How can we get black men to be on the same accord? Because a lot of black men have this, oh, well, you know, I'm not that way, you know, but black women understand that even though I'm not that way, if my sister is struggling and her kids are struggling, that's a reflection on me. Right. I know know, whenever I had this guy that was, you know, me managing T-Mobile, I had a guy that wanted to, he aspired to be a manager. He was a black guy. And we had just one other young black girl that worked at the store with us. She was new. And he he was with the company for years before me. So he knew a lot. And, you know, they were working together prior to me coming to that location. And it was other than those two black people, him and, you know, him and her, it was nothing else but Hispanics. And whenever I got to the location, I was asking, you know, the, the girl, you know, what all she needed help with because she wasn't making that much money as everybody else. And she was just, you know, explaining to me. And I was like, well, has he tried to help you? You know, the other black guy. And mm-hmm. she was like, not really. So I had a good relationship with him because I've worked with him previously. And so mm-hmm. I asked him about it. I said, you know, how come you as a black brother haven't taken her under your wing and showed her how to do this with you having so much experience and yep. you guys being the only two here? Like, I was like, you know, I'm used to, I've worked with like older black guys. As soon as I walk through the door, they come here, baby, let me show you how to do this. Yep. You, you know what yep. I'm saying? For so real. For I real. expect that in you and I'm not seeing that. And I realize that I'm in a different territory, but I just feel like it should have been worldwide. I, that was my first time, like really realizing that you guys are not taking us under your wings. You know, not all of you are really looking out for us the same way we look out for you. I mean, and and yeah, I think because a lot of black men don't want to be um, compromised. I think a lot of black men don't want to compromise their themselves for sisters, and I think that sisters are willing to compromise themselves, even myself. Um, you know, when I got, whenever I get into positions of power, black women level up with me and mm-hmm. I come with that presence in my job. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm always authentically me. I don't lie. I might, you know, I speak how I speak. You hear, you can hear me. I'm articulate, mm-hmm. but I can get country. I can get a lot of different things, but when I'm at my job, I know how to speak. I know how to do these things and Correct. still be me and those things. And I know how to say, Hey, you're overlooking talent. And this is what, and I was overlooked talent, mm-hmm. right? I was overlooked talent. Um, I was actually overlooked by a white man, obviously. Um, but I had to train the guy for the job that my boss was trying to give me. Wow. 
and the, my boss was a white woman. You see how these di- dynamics are very, very interesting. She was yeah. a white woman, but for her, she and I had and I've gotten all my promotions from white women. I have to be honest about that. Likewise, love, likewise, I've gotten all my promotions from white women, and that's just because I've had white bosses. I'm sure. Me black too. Women, I would, I would, I would, I would hope that black women would would be the type of boss I was because I right. definitely. I've I never had a. My experience with a black woman boss was not that good, and that was in Augusta, Georgia, and mm-hmm. you know. She, I don't know, it was like I I had to drive an hour away to get to my job and my car wasn't working that good and, you know, mm-hmm. it was snowing and I got there a little late and she came to my car and she was like, hey, so you don't have to work today, you're suspended for coming late. And I was like, you couldn't have called me? She knew I lived an hour away. Basically. And I was like, you know, I, I said, I, well, I called before I came to let you guys know that I had car I trouble be- and... You know, and so I decided to not come back. Do you know that the white man that was above her blow my he was blowing my phone up begging me to come back. He said that he talked to her and he heard about what happened and that, you know, I'm not suspended and please come back. But I was so hurt that yeah, I didn't, like, I couldn't I'm, even I'm not go going back. back to that. I, I couldn't even you. go back. But the white you. lady that I was working under, it was like kind of like seesawish because she wrote a letter to get me promoted. She demanded that. I'd be her assistant manager and no one else wanted to promote me, but you know, they had a big meeting mm-hmm. and it was like a, I mean, they were like pulling back and forth trying to see where they wanted to have me. And then it was decided that I was going to be her assistant manager. But then when, later down the line, whenever um, she didn't agree with uh, me writing this girl up, that came to work drunk because her and that girl had a friendship outside of work. She oh, wrote me up for um, saying that I, there was two people that wrote a statement saying that I threatened to, uh, you know, get rid of her job position, which was a violation of company policy. Um, mm. I never got, I never saw these statements. I don't know if that was ever true, mm-hmm. but um, she, she was the first person to ever write me up in my whole career. And, you know, they took that as a grain of salt and just moved me from her store. But well, later when I talked to her, she was like, Oh, I thought they demoted you. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, you, that's what you wanted? <laughs> being, listen, like, being wow. a black woman, girl, being a black woman when you're working, especially when you're on the move up, can be a very interesting ride. I mean, mm. the, everything that you're saying to me, I've, like I said, I've just never had a black, a black female boss. And the black woman, I have kind of had one. And she was actually straight. She didn't mm. really, she did, um, she did loss prevention. So she wasn't my direct boss, but she was okay with me yeah. because I'm, I was good at LP. But the girl underneath her who worked in my store, I didn't feel like she gave her the training that she needed for the job. And she eventually had, she eventually went to a different market. A white man came and he fired her within days, mm. within days. And so, and and I'm sure she there was rumor, you know, talk that the girl, did she, she was good at her job but she may have not always done things per protocol, but it was never corrected by her black female boss. And wow. so when she gets the white boss, he fires her in a matter of days because he, they're, they're you know, it, I felt like it was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. And I really um, advocated for her and to him and to everybody else. Like, you know, I, I told him I didn't think it was right. Yeah. I told, and I, that, I that same, right. and that same lady that wrote me up, she did a, a black young lady like that. I didn't want her. I didn't feel like the girl was uh, that bad to fire her. But she was in a 90 day, like, you know, little period where she had to kind of prove herself. And mm-hmm. she just 
for some reason, the white manager just did not like her. She was just trying to find ways to write her up and build up enough stuff to get rid of her in that 90-day period. So before she finished the 90 days, she had all of these write-ups ready for the girl to sign all at one Golly. time. And got, and I just did not like that. I don't like and that it's like, you feel like, you know, I'm still working up under her, but I'm seeing her do this. And it's like crazy because it's the same lady that gave me this position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm making more I money. Realize. I don't it's know it's how something to something about, you got to do, and I tell people this, you got to do good business. Yeah. Always do good business. Always do good business. Do what you can. If somebody is, is not doing well, train them, retrain them, mm-hmm. and retrain them. So by the third time, you can say, look, I don't know if this is this is for you. Right. I don't know if this is for you. And that's why, that's why I feel like I've always been effective as a boss, because I'm like, look, I know you can do the job. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to do the job. Do you need some more training? And I'm always with more training. And of course, most people, they just go lazy at one particular day or whatever. So they're like, okay, I don't want my ass. I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But being a black woman, when you're navigating these spaces, it's very interesting. Even when I wanted to step down from managing, mm-hmm. you step down in the same store. And right. they basically were like, no, you can't do that. Now, is it typical? It's, yes, it's atypical. It's not a typical thing for them to do. But I had seen them for other people who just so happen to be white. Um, mm. I've seen them move these people around once they moved up, move them around to accommodate their lifestyle or their, their wives or their right. that they were told six months ago, you know, all these things. And then I'm like, well, I just want to step down and cashier. And it was just a whole big hoopla. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take some time to take care of my father, to get, you know, get my mind right, things like that. And I did those things. And then when I came back, all of a sudden, y'all have the jobs that I want. Mm. So it's about also knowing how to play your cards when you're in these situations. When you right. understand that you're living in a system, we don't have the luxury to not live in this system. We don't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the best thing that you can do is like winning a game of Monopoly. You got to understand the rules. Mm-hmm. And then you have to understand the strategies. So that's two different things. You got to understand what's yes and what's no, what goes and what doesn't. And then you have to understand the strategies for how to get to what does work and what does go. And once we get to that level, I think, and I think that a lot of us are moving towards that, particularly black women. Yes. Um, black men too as well. But I think a lot of black women are very much moving towards that within their own personal lives. And it just kind of radiates outward. And I think that as long as we continue on this path, it'll, it'll be good. But I would definitely advocate for practicing nepotism though in the workforce, because at the end of the day, Everybody practices nepotism. Hispanics, if a Hispanic manager comes into play, all of a sudden you got a lot of Hispanics. That's not right. That's not wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But definitely practice nepotism. Yes. Practice nepotism. Yes. Because what you, when you practice nepotism, you'll find hire poor, shitty white people every day because they're their friends. Hispanics <laughs> hire poor, shitty Hispanics every day because they're their friends. Black people hire poor, shitty black people every day because they're their friends. When you practice nepotism, you'll realize how to really point out talent and race and talent to be able to pick out the talent in your race because you'll realize shit it's sorry motherfuckers of everybody of everybody's kind and it's crazy because whenever you do tr- sometimes it's, it's it's a battle with your own people because you know we got a business we got a family business in atlanta a moving company two of them and mm-hmm. you know i've i sometimes i'm trying to whenever people are you know they struggling or whatever i tell them you know we do have a family business you can go work for and it's almost like pulling yeah. teeth to get them to go do it and it's like dude you immediately got a job go <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like, be, be gainfully employed there's nothing it, it's wrong like we that. gotta we gotta gain that trust back with each other it's so much work to be done and there's so much it's so many finger pointing and 
it's just like nonstop. So I think people, I this is I think what saved the world, mm-hmm. the whole world. Yeah, people should get outside and get into agriculture. That's what I think. Yes, I think. The more time you spend, I'm sitting outside right now. My backyard is a haven mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, it's beautiful for my back there. Health, you know, like it is. If I'm having a bad day, I live in Florida, so the weather is gorgeous. I can mm-hmm. sit, get some sunlight, sweat out some toxins, and focus on the creatures outside. Focus on my plants. Do all these other different things that are peaceful and calming to the mind, and and good for yourself and good for your community. You know, my goal eventually is to have a community garden with locks down to my ass. That's something I'm working for. Okay. I'm working towards, you know. And so there's a level of peace. And I think that if everybody focused on that and focus locally. Right. So the Black Lives Matter movement, everybody always, you know, I, I see a lot of people saying this isn't about George Floyd anymore. I said it's it started with George Floyd. It actually started with Michael Brown. But yeah. It restarted with George Floyd. And now. Everything else, everybody else can use his story to narrate themselves. You know, right. when I started locally, there's a kid here in Jacksonville named Jamie Johnson, a kid that went to FSU that was home, I think, on Christmas break that was shot and killed by the cops. Yeah, you know, that was just most where, horrible. And, and look, let me show you the dichotomy, because this is why I say it's not just the police. It's white people. It's white people mm-hmm. who are crazy, who are out here, who have a true disdain for black people and truly do not like when black people do not follow what they say. So you have the police who obviously, not all of them, obviously, but there are a, a, a good chunk of the police that we as black people have narrated that they are aggressive towards us and they get upset when we don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. But then you also, it's also the same place where Jordan Davis was shot and killed by some white Some men. random white guy. Play. So after having loud music being played. And that was and he was in the back now, seat. Luckily, now I'm appreciative that the system did not protect this man. Right. You know? But let me tell you something. This man was the same type of man that shot and killed Ahmaud Arbery. And the system mm-hmm. protected them for two mm-hmm. months. Yeah. For two months. And then now I'm just finding out last night, girl, I was like, well, I can't wait to talk to you. Because now mm-hmm. I'm finding out last night. The di- I think her name is Jackie Johnson. I think she's a district attorney or whatever for uh. Glenn County. There was a shooting back a few years ago, I think in 2013, where her jeopardy shot and killed a mom and, and, and said she was driving erratically. She was probably on drugs. She was driving wow. erratically at like 10 miles an hour. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. and so they blocked her car in. They get out of the vehicle. She moves the car forward. They're like, oh, she could have hit us. They, they blocked her in. She wasn't going anywhere. They, they shot her seven times in the front seat of the car. Oh, my God. It was so bad. There are people that, like, and this doesn't happen. And now, mind you, people in the court system were like, this wasn't right. We don't agree with this. Yada, yada, yada. Now, this, these are probably the same people that ignored Amara Arby's case. But the one thing in this situation was that the person who was killed was a white woman. Mm. She was a white woman. And when you look at this story, you have all these white men saying think she was done wrong. They can see that that was wrong. Yeah. You no, know, Ahmad Arby, they jumped off the back of a pickup truck and shot and killed him. And that's not, that story doesn't even sound wrong enough for you, much less the goddamn video. Yeah, they, it's just sick how they try to justify this stuff. Oh, man, they must have did this. Like, come on. And so that's why I, I'm trying to remind people that it's not, you know, just the police. Obviously, they're good police. They're good white people. But then there's a lot of them that just, they're having the glitches in the system right now. Milo! Yeah, they can't handle it. Before we wrap it up, anything you want to (laughs) say? Once we we about to hit this hour, 
anything else you want to say? I, I, I really enjoyed our conversation because you really hit some points and I needed I everybody to hear this. I needed everybody to really know, like, you know, what's going on and hear it from our side. And I wanted to get yeah. other people on because I've been going ham talking about it by myself, but we all have our own experiences and, you know, some people are with more knowledge than certain things. So you definitely educated me on some things and these uh, listeners for sure. But uh, yeah, anything you want to say before you go? Um, <laughs> number one, if you, anything that I said in, in here, if you don't agree with it, you don't like it, just Google it, just Google it and just go down the rabbit hole. Okay. Go down the rabbit hole of the truth and you'll find out how, much the system is skewed towards class, towards racism, towards this and the third, but black people just tend to be at the bottom of all of those things. Um, the second thing I would say is, if you want to be active, I believe in people being active with their bodies and with their voices, but I also believe in people being active with their pockets. I don't believe in any, we live in a system, it, we live in a system, we live here, we live in the United States, it's a system that operates off capitalism, it operates off money. So, when you understand that, you, if white people say they want to support, how can we support black people? Support black business. Mm -hmm. Give them three black owned businesses of your friends. That's why I say start locally of your personal friends that you know and tell them buy something from their website. Buy something from here. Here's their cash app. Donate to them. Give them your support with your pocketbook. If we're not talking money, we're not talking sense. If we're not talking money, we ain't talking no change for real. Like real change. And that's what it is. At the end of the day, you can't affect change without money, without mm -hmm. being able to either pull your money together, as in work within a group of other black people to try to reconnect with your neighborhood or try to reconnect and get some business and money and economics flowing in your, in your community by giving people jobs. You got to realize you can also do this shit online. You can do a lot of shit online and employ people online so the people don't mm -hmm. even have to get up and come to the job, get up and do all these things. They can literally sit at their home and do these things as long as they have the Internet and the phone. Right. You know? So support mm -hmm. people with your money, support people with your dollars. And that is what I think would be the best way if you're trying to support black business. Uh, I mean, black people is support them with your money. Um, and then thirdly, I would just say, always take time and practice patience. Practice patience. Practice patience with yourself. If you're working on things, practice patience in everything that you do, because patience will get you a long way when it comes to consistency in terms of long-term outcome. And when we're talking about this Black Lives Matter movement, pay, I call it patience. And the reason why people say that this is going to be the freedom summer, because they plan on doing protests continuously, 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 because mm -hmm. that patience and plus consistency is what eventually is going to affect real, true change. And I think that it's important for at us at the same time as a, the black community to start really looking within ourselves and start doing the self work in our families, in our communities, you know, the way, so we, so when we come on the other side of this, now we're better built to deal with anything that's on the other side of this. You know what I'm saying? So right. definitely sit back, do some internal work, do the work on your family. Like if you have problems with your family, get it together. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If there are things to cut off, cut them off. Yeah. If there are things that you need to do for yourself, if you need to self-isolate with a plan, with a plan in terms of getting up and having a discipline and having a morning routine and having all these things, do those things. That is how you create success through patience and consistency. But take the time that you need to do them. Because when I step down from my job, and this whole corona, if corona hasn't taught y'all anything about understanding how much time you've been wasting because mm -hmm. you could have been doing other stuff. Yeah. 
you could have been doing other things. You realizing that that eight hour a day job is no longer worth it. It's mm-hmm. no longer worth it. Mm-hmm. And so figure out ways to, you know, be patient and be consistent. That's what I was going to say. Amen. Anissa, I really appreciate you coming on. This has Who been just, like me? so beautiful. Be this. Let me give it real quick. Yeah. No, but like when I first, <laughs> when I got to Jacksonville, me and Casey, we've been friends since ninth grade. But mm-hmm. um, when I got to Jacksonville, for maybe about what a year and a half, two years. Yeah. We would talk on the phone like every day. Every day. <laughs> every day because we were both in different cities by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like a resemblance of kind of being back home and not feeling so alone. So alone. And not feeling so by yourself all the time. Yeah. And we were both like kind of doing very similar things. I was moving up, she was moving up. Mm-hmm. So it was just like it was nice to kind of have like it was beautiful. It's like having a belly buddy when you're pregnant. Somebody who's pregnant at the same time as you. Like, <laughs> yes. It's like having a belly buddy in life. Like, it, it, it was a good, it was a really, really good time. And I just want to say, yes. I've always appreciated that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a part of, that's a part that I really needed at the time to really find yes. a lot of different things. So I appreciate that. Likewise, you know, I, I definitely appreciate it. It's always been big love between you and I. We always have gotten along great. For and, sure. you know, you've always been a friend and can count on me. So, of, of course, yes. You know, it's it's love, and I really appreciate you again for coming on. Because, like I said, this I've been wanting to have you on for mate, like since I started this. You're so sweet. You know what I'm saying? You're and so I I girl. still I still support you, and you know you having your own or you being my co-host or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> whatever Let's see what you the people say. We'll see what the people. We'll say, see what know? the people say. Anything uh, you, know, you, you want to promote? Research. Do a little market research. That's right. Anything you want to promote while you're here before you go? Um, y'all could just follow me on Instagram, you know, just search my name, Anissa Bass, A-N-I-S-A-B-A-S-S. Um, my name is underscore I kill Cupid underscore Cupid with a K. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, just follow me on Instagram. I don't be doing nothing but cooking and gardening and talking shit. Amen. That's what we like. <laughs> Nish, you have a good day. We appreciate you. All right, boo. Love you. Love you. Peace. Yeah, thank y'all so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Anissa. Um, If you didn't, you really must, like, have a problem. You got to go get some help, man, because that was amazing. That was beautiful. So much uh, information, so much to know. Anissa is a great person. She got a lot of passion in the things that she do, and she's just real. You know what I'm saying? She, just like me, we ain't perfect, but we just keep it real, and, you know, we're true to ourselves and to the people we love, and we we do right by people, and we, you know, we just out here to spread love, peace, positivity <laughs> at the end of the day. Ain't, ain't too much, but, um, it's been, it's been great, y'all, and I encourage everybody, do your own research, try to get your own understanding of what's going on, you know what I'm saying, but we speaking from our experience and, and what we know, you know what I'm saying, and uh, like she said, Google, Google everything, Google is everywhere, and you guys can use that, and um, you know, we're not trying to offend nobody, but this is our, this is our pain, this is our story, and you know, this is what it is, but I do appreciate Nissa for coming on, Um, you know, I always say the same thing on here. I'm not perfect. My my goal is to kind of have a platform of just transparency where I'm just vulnerable and I'm stating what's on my mind because you can't really say what's on your mind on the internet too much. It ain't good to type it. They don't want to hear that. But 
chances are it's only a select few that's going to hit play on this. And the people that hit play on this is people that want to hear what I got to say. So I appreciate that. I appreciate all of the detail and the love and care and support that I continue to get, you know, just for this podcast and the music and the clothing brand. It's been real. And, you know, I never forget it. That's one thing I won't ever forget. I never forget the love that I get from everybody out there, you know. So make sure y'all support Black Business on tomorrow, Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth to all of my people out there. Make sure y'all, you know, get up on your history books, read, uh, have some conversations, educate some people. You know, don't be afraid to educate people. We need to teach them how to treat us like, you know what I'm saying, for real. Because you teach everybody else how to treat you. We need to reteach these people because we ain't, we allowed them to just keep on. We got so scared and frightened that we just allowed them to tell us what to do, when to move, what to say. So you got to be educated out here on these subjects, especially nowadays, because it's too much going on and you realize you realize now, I don't know if you ever did, but hopefully you do now. You got to know your laws and all of that, man. I'm, I'm trying to read every law and everything in California. I need to know what I can can't do, like all of that, because it's just too risky. I want to have conversation. Let's have great conversation and figure it out from there. Let's not go at each other's throat, you know. So that's all I wanted to say. I got to get ready for a studio session. Uh, we have finished Disturbed Tranquility, so... I'm pretty much getting ready for that distribution, getting ready to ship that out and get that sent off. And we are pretty, we on our way, man. It's about to be done. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs> but yeah, I ain't going to waste no more of y'all time. Thank you for joining me today on the Get to Know Me podcast. Uh, continue to spread love, peace, positivity, and happy Juneteenth. Hands up, don't shoot till the gun goes off. Hands up, don't shoot, can't breathe, can't talk. They say we kill each other, so why should they care? We only kill each other cause we can't call 12. Hands up, don't shoot till the gun goes off. Catch a bullet, and the people say, Catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the cops say, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the people say, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the cops say, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. A Tatiana was just in the house, innocent. They shot her through a window, bought them jeans in this house, and the murder cops in the What a justice, where the peace, blood I hear in the streets. How do you squash the beef when you can't call the police? 
Ahmad in his neighborhood jogging along, honey down by the fake murder cop and his son. With another fucker taping like he out at the zoo. It's a war going on, must survive the new. Orlando shot on live five times, cop acquitted. Every gunner couldn't breathe, they never found no charges, nigga. I don't deserve to die just because you call me black. Oscar Grant cooperated and they shot him in his back. Ain't no, ain't no cutting slack, we speak up for other races. Never protesting, but I caught you nay naying. Slaves didn't get to see freedom all on their own. It was other races that would hide them in their home. What you scared? Ain't no reason Breonna Taylor shouldn't be here. Ain't no reason no flashing light should bring me fear. Ain't no reason we gotta protest every year. Ain't no reason for tear gas and riot gear. What you scared? Of my features or my demeanor with my hair? Of my verbiage or my courage, the clothes I wear? Of my culture, you just a vulture unaware? What you scared? Imagine that I'm gay and black, they gon' attack. Kneeling, bitch, I'm never standing for your flag. Is it my organs that are priced and getting tagged? At this point, I'm never too afraid to ask. Why you scared? Hands up, don't shoot till the gun goes off. Hands up, don't shoot, can't breathe, can't talk. They say we kill each other, so why should they care? We only kill each other cause we can't call 12. Hands up, don't shoot, still the gun goes off. Catch a bullet, and the people say, Catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the cops say, Catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the people say, Catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet. And the cops say, Catch a bullet, motherfucker, catch a bullet, motherfucker.